0: Welcome to Chapter 2 of St. Nick and the Big F*** Up, a holiday audio drama in six parts. If you haven't heard Episode 1, I would recommend that you start there. You can find it on your favorite podcast app or at the website SaintNickAndTheBigFUp.com. I'm Phil Rickaby, the writer and performer of St. Nick and the Big F*** Up. If you enjoy this audio drama, please rate and review it at Apple Podcasts. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. If you want to post about it on Twitter or Instagram, use the hashtag St. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. If you like this audio play, please consider dropping some change in my virtual tip jar. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. And hang around for just a minute at the end of the episode for some important credits. From second grade onwards, school was a misery. Before that, I was pretty popular, as much as you can be in kindergarten and first grade. I had friends that I played with at recess, kids who liked me. But once everybody found out about the little Santa Claus thing, everything changed. The friends I had disappeared, and no new ones replaced them. I had become persona non grata in an instant, and there was nothing I could do about it. It wasn't even my fault. Little Santa wasn't a name I chose. It was the name my mother called me. I blamed her for all the torments. It didn't help that she didn't want to believe that her little nickname could have any detrimental effect. In her mind, childhood was a time filled with nothing but joy. She used to say that bullies were only bullies because you weren't trying hard enough. Which of course just showed how little she understood children. And she never stopped calling me Little Santa, even when I yelled at her to stop. And it didn't matter how often I told her that I didn't want to do anything Christmassy, she didn't believe me. So I was pretty angry at Mom. That continued into adulthood. I was angry, bitter, and alone, especially at Christmas. That is, until I met Jenny. So there's a girl named Jenny, and she's amazing, Beautiful, smart, creative, fun. And we are good together. And you know what? Jenny loves Christmas. Loves it like I thought only people in movies love Christmas. She puts up her tree every year on November 12th. Like clockwork. And she loves all those Christmas things. Like, she loves Christmas. Going to the mall, not because she loves shopping, but because she loves the decorations, even though they are basically the same every year. It doesn't matter. She loves them. So we brave malls and skating rinks and Christmas markets and she's so happy. And her happy makes me happy. And that way that she loves Christmas, that joy that she has, it makes me like Christmas too. Suddenly it's me that can't wait to put up the tree. And so what if that's more because of how happy it makes her? If, if Christmas spirit isn't mostly based on making other people happy, then I have misunderstood the whole thing. So one year, she wants to bake cookies. So we bake a batch of Christmas cookies, and when they're done, we sit on the couch. She picks one up, and she goes to eat it, and then she changes her mind, and she playfully tries to put it in my mouth. And I flinch, like hard, and it all comes out. I tell her about mom calling me her little Santa and what happened when all the other kids found out and about how they would hold me down and stuff cookies in my mouth and how I hated Christmas until I met her because of all of that stuff. And she says she's sorry and thanks me for being willing to play along with her love of Christmas. And she tells me that for that, I'm her Saint Nick. But she won't tell anyone. And coming from her being called St. Nick is so different from when my mom called me Little Santa. Instead of being embarrassed, I I feel so loved. And things keep being good. I'm her St. Nick. She's my crumpet. I know, it's so disgusting. And then one year on November 12th, we're sitting on the couch and all the lights are off except for the lights on the Christmas tree and we're drinking hot chocolate, just enjoying everything. When Jenny puts down her mug and she says, I have something for you. She gets up and she goes to the bedroom and she comes back a minute later with this skinny box, just a few inches long, all wrapped in Christmas wrapping paper with a a ribbon and everything. She gives it to me and I'm confused because we don't usually exchange gifts this early but she says just open it so I do inside is a plastic tube thing a pregnancy test but I'm slow and I don't understand what I'm seeing the little window is face up with two pink lines on it and I'm still not getting it and I look at her and she can see the confusion on my face and she says helpfully you're going to be a daddy and I say Are you sure it's mine? The smile fades from her face, replaced by the worst thing I've ever seen. Hurt. And Jenny doesn't say anything. She just gets up and she goes into the bedroom and I sit in silence, staring at the tree as my hot chocolate gets cold. Preston continued screaming. My eye, my nose, and my crotch were throbbing in unison, keeping a regular beat. I could acutely feel my eye swelling shut and the blood running from my nose into the fake beard and the pain between my legs. In a moment like this, you were tested. It's a moment like this that can teach you about the kind of person that you are. And this day, this whole day had been a test. My nerves were frayed and I was starting to feel unsanta like even before that little shit kicked me in the jingle bells. I wanted to scream at him. I wanted to scream at his mother. I could feel something vile rising up inside me, but I fought it. I held it in. There are things that you should not say under normal circumstances, and there are things that you should definitely not say when you are dressed as Santa Claus with an interminable line of children in front of you. And then it happened. The mother... Preston's mother, whose child has left me bruised, bloodied, and pained, insisted on a picture. Being a mall Santa is hard work. Harder than you think. There's a lot to know. Little things, but important things. Things you would never even think of. Like when you pose for pictures, always make sure that both your hands are visible in the shot. That's for your own protection. It prevents issues later on. And that's why Santa wears white gloves so you can always see his hands. In this day and age, that's important because there's this idea that some people have of the Creeper Mall Santa, the one that drinks, or worse, has an ulterior motive for having kids on his lap. I wish I knew how that thing got started, but it is something that every parent will think of when they see a picture of their little Cindy on Santa's knee and they can't see both his hands. So when the camera is ready, you make sure you know where both your hands are and get the photographer to check. And if both your hands are not clearly seen, you retake the shot. The first day on the job as Santa Claus is not like the first day of any other job. There is no training period. You hit the ground running and you are expected to be prepared even if you're a part-time substitute Santa like me. You provide your own suit, your own makeup, and if you haven't grown your own, you provide the beard. You arrive on the first day and someone shows you to whatever passes for a dressing room, whether it's a break room that's been temporarily designated the dressing room or an empty office or something else. You get to work, making yourself look as much like Santa Claus as you can until someone comes to fetch you. You take the suit out of the garment bag and it looks a bit sad. It's flat and lifeless because it's been in there since June when you bought it. So you give the suit a brush. You brush the fur trim because that's what brings the suit to life. And when the suit is presentable, you turn your attention to your face because there are expectations jolly rosy cheeks a little red on your nose some crow's feet by the eyes unless like me you have your own you wonder if you should have bleached your eyebrows but it's too late to worry about that now you get dressed you put on the coat you put on the beard and wig and yes you should have bleached your eyebrows oh well maybe you can do something with a little white makeup but it's too late because there's a knock on the door and you are being led to the mall's castle, and you remember to be on because you never know when there might be a kid nearby. And so, when that door opens, you'll walk out with a smile in your eyes, waving at everyone, child or not. And suddenly, you are sitting in the big chair and all eyes are on you. You give your best, ho, 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 and suddenly there's a kid in your lap and you forget what you're supposed to say and the kid's looking at you expectantly, eyes wide and waiting, and everyone's looking at you and holding their breath, then you remember that you're the one that's supposed to drive this thing. And so you say, Hello, little boy, what do you want for Christmas? Or something like that. And then the first child is gone and replaced by the next, and it is a conveyor belt of children until finally it's break time. And you go back to the dressing room for a breather. You're a little shell-shocked, but you made it through the first half of the day. You sit down to lunch, and you eat your roast beef sandwich, and you drink your can of Coke. And when you're finished, you're escorted back out to the throne. And a few minutes into that second half, you realize that you have made some poor choices as far as lunch is concerned. And this is how it happens. There's a child on your lap. His name is Timmy, or Tommy, or something. And he's in the middle of this long list of what he wants for Christmas from memory. And you can feel something rising, like starting in your esophagus. And then without meaning to, you belch. Loud. And roast beefy. Into the child's face. Uh. And the kid stops reciting his long list. And he stares at you horrified because Santa isn't a person. He's a fantasy. He doesn't burp or fart. But you, you just burped in his face while he was telling you the most important thing to him in that moment. He had been waiting for days to tell you and then you did that. And now you aren't Santa to him. You're just some guy in a fake beard and a red suit. You had one job, and that was the fantasy of a Santa Claus, and you just ruined it. You failed. Sure, it's just one kid, but that's one kid who's had the illusion ruined. And so you vow never to do that again. From then on, you are careful about what you eat and drink. You only eat things that are easy on the stomach and won't cause gas and won't give you bad breath. And that means you're starting to take this thing seriously. And that means you're on your way to becoming a good Santa. And that was chapter two of St. Nick and the Big F*** Up. Remember to rate and review this audio play on Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think by using the hashtag St. Nick F-ed Up. You'll find chapter three in one week. Music in this episode were excerpts from Krampus Workshop, Oh Christmas Tree, There Is Romance, and Jingle Bells, all by Kevin McLeod and all released under a Creative Commons by Attribution License. Some sound effects in this episode were from Zapsplat.com. Thanks for listening